heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Welcome to Voice of a Nation. This is your Team Nation guest, Dr. Lee for America. And I am here today to talk about a critically important point that is happening with the vaccine mandates, coercion, universal vaccination. There are many terms that are being banded around in the media and with businesses and airlines and colleges across this country. What's the truth about the COVID vaccines? What are your rights as a citizen of the United States of America? What do you need to know in order to make a balanced, informed decision about a medical treatment that is going to affect your health in ways that we don't even yet know because we don't have long-term data from the clinical trials. These vaccines were released to the public after two months of clinical data, and we now have just over five months of mass vaccination going on without any proper screening ahead of time, and people don't know if they already had immunity or not. So what do you do to be an informed decision maker about your health in this environment? Well, I have one of the best people in the country on the aspect of what you as a patient have in terms of your rights to help answer that question. This is Del Bigtree, who is one of the preeminent voices of the vaccine risk awareness movement. And ladies and gentlemen, that is what we are talking about, helping you to be fully aware. None of us are anti-vaxxers. I'm a physician. I've used vaccines for my patients over the years. I've taken them myself. The point is, in order to decide to take a medical treatment, you need to know, what, how is it going to help me? How might it hurt me? What are the risks? And quite frankly, in my whole career in medicine, I have never seen a cover-up of the risk situation that we are facing today. We have over 4,000 deaths. We have escalating, skyrocketing complications and people getting sick. I have this happening in, every day in my own practice. I know it's real. So Del Bigtree being with us today is hugely important. He is, has been a tireless worker on helping people make informed decisions about these health interventions. His nonprofit, the Informed Consent Action Network, or ICANN, and go to ICANN's website, look up all that they're doing to help people, help advocate for you. ICANN.org is leading worldwide investigations into the drug and vaccine fraud 
that have already resulted in multiple winning lawsuits against U.S. government agencies, such as Health and Human Services, the National Institutes of Health, CDC, and FDA, all the three-letter agencies that have been giving us conflicting guidelines on the COVID pandemic for the last 14 months. But Dell is probably best known for his powerful speeches that weave shocking truth, searing wit, and dynamic passion into an experience that is often described as electrifying. So I am very excited to have him on the show today. He's been uh, an Emmy winning producer of the CBS talk show, The Doctors, and then changed profoundly himself when he produced the documentary, Vaxxed, From Cover-Up to Catastrophe, which is credited with igniting a revolution against pharmaceutical tyranny. And having been in the trenches in the practice of medicine, I know all too well how often medicines in the pharmaceutical industry are brought to market without full awareness of the safety risk. And we certainly are seeing that today. Dell, I'm honored to have you on Voice of a Nation. You truly are speaking directly to the nation in this program today and actually around the world as it goes to podcasts. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. I wanted to start off with asking you to tell us a little bit about some of the events that you are organizing, that you're part of, and some of the legal actions that you are currently part of in on this front. So, you know, there's multiple facets to our nonprofit informed consent action network. One of them is the media side of what we do. And that's a we podcast that I put out every Thursday called The High Wire, which can be seen at thehighwire.com. But is a way to get the information out um, about the lawsuits and the things that we were discovering. What were you know when we were suing government agencies to get to the truth about you know drugs and vaccines and things like that. Mainstream media isn't going to cover. So we decided, since my background was in television, to you know create a you know talk show where we could celebrate what we were discovering through our lawsuit wins. And I also have a scientific team that does investigations around the world when it comes to drugs and vaccines and pesticides and things like that. So we're always involved in you know ongoing litigation a lot of times the the legal team is just um writing up freedom of information act requests FOIA requests this is something in the united states of america we have a right to demand transparency and you know information from any government agency that essentially works for us they're our employees so we're always asking questions of the fda cd Sometimes we just want to see Tony Fauci's internal emails. What has he been saying about the safety of this vaccine? Or what, you know, you can make requests just between the emails between, you know, Robert Redfield and Tony Fauci. And anytime they mention the word Wuhan, those are the types of things we are constantly um, submitting to try and get real answers um, to questions. So it's a, you know, that's it. I mean, we're always producing uh, media to let the people know what's going on. And we're constantly looking for answers. 
Adele, I have a question that I'm interested in exploring with you because physicians always go through informed consent with our patients when we are recommending treatment and we discuss with them the, what the treatment is for, what, what we could expect in the way of helpful results, benefit, and what could be side effects or risk. And the patient always balances that risk versus benefit based on their health goals. And so we can go through this process. Contrast that with what you're seeing happening in the situation with these new experimental vaccines that are still not FDA approved. They are experimental investigational biological agents and we become the clinical trial. Well, one of the things I think that is critical to understand is we have a fantastic constitution and bill of rights and this thing called the Nuremberg Code, which is really an international you know, set of rules unto when it comes to how we deal with someone's health. Now, the idea and what we're talking about is the idea of a university or an employer in, you know, in, in a private company, essentially, telling you that you're not allowed to work or that you're not allowed to have an education until you, you basically enroll in a scientific experiment. I think on its face right there, we see how dangerous an idea that is. And I think the problem is people just don't, we hear vaccine and immediately think, oh, it's safe. It's like injecting water. So what difference does it make if I'm giving up some you know, rule or some right? It doesn't really matter. Um, nothing could really be further from the truth. I think when we talk about the safety safety product, there's serious safety issues, um, some long-term known, some long-term unknown, any short-term known. We're seeing deaths, highest rates of death we've ever seen in a vaccine rollout in the United States of America, anaphylaxis, Bell's palsy, all of these issues. But the idea, you know, that you would force this product on somebody, I think you know, number one, it violates your right to consent, which is you should be able to consent. No one can ever force you into a medical experiment. But what's incredible about this is that the manufacturers of this product, they have no legal obligation whatsoever. So how is it that I can somehow be legally bound and forced to involve myself in an experiment to get the rights of an education or a job in America but the industry that is making this product is, is completely not legally bound to the results of that product. What I mean is liability protection. I think one of the most dangerous parts of this entire situation is you have the pharmaceutical industry making a product that didn't go through long-term safety studies, and then they're indemnified from any legal action should their product injure or kill you. Uh, there's really almost no other situation like that in this country. Every product we know has that market force of the ability to sue, uh, except for vaccines and even sp more specifically COVID-19. There's two spaces with which this protection exists. For childhood vaccines, it's, they are protected by the 1986 Vaccine Injury Compensation Program which was passed, as it sounds, in 1986. Essentially, the pharmaceutical industry blackmailed 
Ronald Reagan and the Congress at that time and said, we're going to stop making all vaccines unless you protect us from liability. Why were they asking for liability protection? Because in their own words, they were losing so much money from lawsuits for death and injury from their vaccines that they could not make a profit. That's their own words. We cannot make a profit. This product is so bad and hurts and kills so many people because think about it. Pharmaceutical products are killing and maiming people all the time. We see the lawsuits. If you've been injured by FenFen, if you've been injured by Vioxx, if you've been, I mean, we're used to a world where the pharmaceutical industry gets away with lying until years down the road, somebody finally brings a class action lawsuit. They pay out billions of dollars, which is usually just a slap on the wrist, and they go on their way. But they never lost money on those products. In, with vaccines, they were losing money. The product was so bad. So when you take that into account, why are we being asked to trust a product or being forced essentially to trust a product in order to go to school when the manufacturer doesn't trust their own product? In fact, one of the CEOs of AstraZeneca was they were fighting because in Belgium, Belgium didn't want to go around with the rest of the world and give them liability protection. They were saying, hold on a second. Why should we indemnify you for this product? Is it safe or is it not safe? And AstraZeneca CEO said, we cannot be held responsible for injuries that may occur, adverse events that don't appear for four or five years. That's what they said. Because why? Well, you're the ones that rushed us through the safety trials. You're the ones that wanted our product. So you can't hold us responsible if two, three, four years down the road, it causes cancer or it causes gene mutation, or maybe it sterilizes you so that you can't have children. That's on you. That's essentially the space we now find ourselves in, which I think adds a further complication. The idea of mandating on healthy students a product that itself says, they themselves say, we don't know what it's going to do to you two or three years down the road. And so therefore, we're not liable for it. That's incredible. So number one, just no market force that makes the pharmaceutical industry make sure that this is the best product. Sure, they're going to tell us it's the greatest vaccine ever made. But if they don't have to stand by that and can't be sued, how much do we trust that? And so all of those things are the places with which, as we're pressing lawsuits against these employers, against universities, these are the things that you know, the space with which we are going to be arguing. Now, remember, this is unprecedented territory. There's, there's no history that I know of, of a university or, of an, or an employer ever mandating an experimental product, as you said, that is not approved by the FDA. And we're going to be really surprised if the FDA, I know that I think it's um, Pfizer, I believe, is going for approval now. Maybe it happens quickly and then that would change this conversation once again. But if it's still an emergency use authorization by this fall when students are going to school or right now while people are trying to, you know, go to their work, we believe that it's essentially illegal. Now, that's our belief. That's why we have courts. They have a belief that they're a private industry, that they can do whatever they want. I mean, apparently, you know, in, in their minds, they can punch you in the face. As long as you're on their private property, they will say, you know what, you don't have a right to protections. That's essentially the type of argument they're going to make. We'll see how well that folds up. 
Well, that is just truly unconscionable that we are seeing people's health and lives jeopardized with mandates when, as you pointed out so, so strongly, and I certainly have been with my own patients, that the manufacturers don't stand by the quality of their product. And I, I am surprised to see such a massive rush to the vaccine with many, many people just lining up to get it without even knowing what it is they're, they're having injected into their body. I, I just, I don't understand that mindset. What are your thoughts about what's driving that? I know that the college students, for the most part, recognize somehow they, common sense, they know they're not at real high risk for COVID and they aren't. Um, so they, they tend to be more skeptical and standing back and not rushing. But when we start looking at others, and certainly in my patient population, I've even seen it, even though I've been trying to educate people, let's slow down, take a breath, we can make an informed decision. People have been rushed into it. What, could you talk a little bit about what your, your sense is of what's driving people to jump off the cliff before they know whether there's a safety net under it? I saw a, a statement on social media, a meme or something, and it said, well, now, all the now we've seen all the people that take a product without doing any investigation or without doing their own research. And, and, and so what's going to happen with the rest of us? And that idea, I think, is really true. You've just seen roughly 50% of America, you know, let's just generalize, but we're at about 50% of America have rushed out to get this vaccination. Those are people that just believe doctors. They are, they are part of what I think is more like a religious cult. They see a white jacket, just like people treat their priest. Whatever they say is true, I'm going to do that, and I'm not going to do my own research. I'm not going to read my own Bible. I'm not going to you know, make sure that what they're saying is true. I'm not going to read the studies. I'm not going to look at the ingredients. And so that's that. obviously that population, we now have a clearer understanding of how many people live their lives like that. It's about 50%. And now there's going to be a push to try and get that maybe 20% that are a little bit more hesitant, that you know, wanted to at least had some sort of instinct to say, well, let me just look at this. I, I want other people to go before me. I want to you know, take a look at how it affects other people. And then you have a, around 30% that are saying just hell no. Oh, hell no. I've looked at the science. I've read it. I'm, I'm, there's no way. I know how science is supposed to work. I know what a safety study is. And this thing didn't go through it. Um, so, you know, that's part of it. Now, why did that 50% rush in with the confidence they did? Well, propaganda. I mean, we are seeing the largest propaganda campaign in the history of the world. And in America, where we think we have free press, the largest propaganda campaign ever pressed by mainstream news in the history of this country. Um, and I mean, it's propaganda. It's not news. MSNBC, Fox, CNBC, CNN, you name it. Not one of them really ever asked questions about the safety of this product which would be a normal, I mean, I come from news. It's why I left the CBS talk show, The Doctors, was I wanted to be able to investigate whatever I wanted and not be controlled by my sponsors. When you work for 
and network, you are controlled by your sponsors. And when it comes to news, about 70% of your paycheck is paid for by pharma. And so that constant mantra that you are going to die if you don't get the vaccine, and if you don't die, you're certainly going to kill somebody else. I mean, it is 24-7, and it lacks all scientific credibility, but if that's your only place that you get your information, if turning, if you flip on your MSNBC or Fox, doesn't matter, all the, you know, I'm not choosing sides politically here. If you listen to it all day long, you're under the impression that everybody is going to die unless they get vaccinated. And here's the truth. The death rate of this virus is roughly somewhere between a quarter of 1% and a half of 1%, less than 1% of people who catch the illness will die. Um, and that, I think, you know, there's uh, so many, you know, veins or roads we can go down to, to talk about that. That number shouldn't even be that high, except that our country, I think, has committed crimes against humanity by denying known treatments that have shown to work in thousands of studies. I'm talking about the cocktail that's been incredibly successful around the world, which is um, hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and zinc. Um, there has been incredible studies using ivermectin, both, uh, both as a prophylactic and as a treatment. It worked so well in a study in Brazil that they bailed out of the study because the only people getting sick and dying were those that were in the placebo group, not getting the ivermectin. They finally said, we're just murdering people here. Get everybody on ivermectin. But here in this country, you know, you, you're hard pressed to find a, a pharmacy that will allow you to get it because the hospital system, the manufacturer, the pharmaceutical industry is threatening everybody that there's no such thing as a treatment. Tony Fauci is saying there's no such thing as a treatment. Only vaccines are going to get us through. And so all of these lies, it's constant. If you stop anyone on the street and said, what is the death rate of this virus? They've done polls. Usually people say, if the, either the smartest people say, I don't know, 20%. And most people think the death rate is somewhere around 40% if you catch this illness. They, nobody stopped on the street will tell you it's a quarter of 1% to half of 1%. And would be even lower had, if people were really given availability to treatments. And so that's part of the problem. And then you have the President of the United States, you know, getting and, and telling you, you know, take your vaccine or else get this vaccine or else. So you can't really blame people for, you know, rushing out those that have rushed out to get this vaccine. They have a nature that believes they live in the greatest country in the world, which they do, the United States of America. They believe their government cares for them. They believe that Tony Fauci and the CDC and the FDA, these regulatory agencies are designed to protect them. And that's what makes my job so difficult is I have got to try and change your mindset about how you see your government and how you see these government agencies. Unfortunately, I am sad to tell you that these agencies are not working for you. They're working for the pharmaceutical industry. They're working for powers that care more about their bottom line than they do about your health. And just, you know, to sort of sort of sum all of this up, when we talk about the, the problems with this vaccine or, you know, what Joe, we do or do not know. Yes. About the problems after the break. Okay. And 
let's let's start that again because this is so critically important and this is something similar to what we're seeing and i have a comment i want to make on that we're we're going to take a brief break this is dr lee for america your guest host on voice of a nation we'll be right back our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime you'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of americaoutloud.com because of covid19 the average american worries about their immune health four times a day that's 112 times per year to minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains 15 full doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day pill-free gel pack. It tastes great, is convenient on the go, and it's more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The America Out Loud family is comprised of patriots in the true sense of the word. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty and the Constitution to help save America for future generations to come. AmericaOutloud.com It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Never before in our history have we witnessed the level of hatred that is now being waged against our law enforcement. While anarchist groups create havoc and overwhelm our first responders, these same groups and their corporate supporters are calling for the police forces to be shrunk and defunded. What can you and I do to make a difference? How can we stand up for what is right and to show our support? That's what I'm going to tell you about this incredible new platform. It's called ShopToTheRight.com. And it's a new shopping platform that will help you find businesses that align with your values. They feature products made in America. They support veteran-owned businesses as well as our law enforcement community. This is a time when we need to stick together. We need to shop together. And we need to support each other. It's time for you and I to make some noise and stand up to protect our country. And one easy way to do that is to shop and give our money to companies that don't seek to destroy our way of life. So join the fight for liberty. ShopToTheRight.com. Support those American businesses that support law enforcement and veterans. Listen to Malcolm, the voice of a nation, on iHeartRadio or our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host in for Malcolm on Voice of a Nation. We are talking with Del 
Big Tree, the founder of ICANN, the organization leading the vaccine risk awareness movement to help educate the public about the kinds of questions and concerns you should be asking and discussing as you make decisions about any medical treatment, but especially these new experimental vaccines. One of the things that Dell was just talking about is the fact that we are at the mercy of the pharmaceutical companies and our federal agencies that are supposed to be working for us, looking out for us, who are all stakeholders in this vaccine initiative. Many people don't realize that NIH and CDC actually hold some of the patents on the vaccines. So their agencies are making money on the success of the vaccine program, as well as the pharmaceutical companies, as well as other stakeholders, such as the Gates Foundation, who has a stake in holding patents and has revenue coming in, not just philanthropy, that foundation is getting revenue from patents they own as intellectual property. So the public is not aware of many of these connections. And I think that, Dell, you were bringing up some really critical points. Let's, let's go further into that. You started to say before the break, there, there are just big problems. Let, let's talk about that a little bit in the second segment. I want to touch one thing because I think what you just said is really important and I'll get into that in a second. But the idea that the NIH and the CDC are stakeholders, that they own patents in these vaccines. I think for a lot of people, they hear that and say, so what? You know, that's fine. I mean, these are scientists. They're involved in developing these. They're the best scientists in the world. They get paid for their work. And I think that, yeah, sure, they should. I, I have no problem with that. Here's the problem they then shouldn't be the ones in charge of, your, of the safety of the product. They shouldn't be the ones that we're expecting to be skeptical of the safety. They shouldn't be doing their own crash test. I don't want Ford Motor Company doing its own crash test on its brand new truck. I don't want a bunch of fanboys that had posters of Ford all over their rooms as they grew up being in charge of the crash test of Ford. I want, I want Audi to run Ford's crash test. You know what I mean? I want the competitor. I want the skeptic to be looking into the product and saying, we're going to prove that your product isn't any good. That's called the scientific method. And our problem is that, sure, these scientists, CDC, they say, hey, we've been involved in developing. We should get paid for our work. Okay, then let's create an independent vaccine safety um, board. That's something that Bobby Kent, Robert Kennedy Jr. and I and many have been calling for. Let's get the vaccine safety studies and the investigation into the safety into a private group that make no money off of the products, that have no buy entering into that situation. So that's, I just want to clarify that, that if scientists need to get paid fine, they just can't be the ones that are doing the safety studies of their own products. That's the fox guarding the hen house, and we've got to change that or we're going to continue to have serious issues. Now, what issues do we have? What are the issues with this product? Well, number one, I think the biggest issue we have is that the product doesn't actually work. And this is critical because when people hear the word vaccination, what they assume immediately is vaccination means I take this 
this product, it then after I've developed antibodies using this vaccine, that I can no longer be infected by that illness ever again, and therefore I can't spread it to anybody else. That is what most people think as soon as they hear the word vaccination, that's the definition. That's not the definition of this product. This product has failed to prove that it stops you from being infected. We've heard a little bit about breakthrough cases, but the truth is, is that everywhere we look, this vaccine fails. It fails to stop you from being infected in the future. That has multiple problems to it, but the biggest one being that it doesn't work. If it can't stop you from being infected after you've gotten it and therefore spreading it to others, then we cannot achieve what is called herd immunity. The entire idea of why we're getting a vaccine is so that we stop the spread of this illness so that nobody else can catch it. We build a wall that protects those that are vulnerable, that can't get it. That's the whole story we've been told. They, they've admitted, essentially, they're never going to tell you, well, it doesn't work. But what did they, the CDC just ruled last week? We're going to stop tracking and collecting data on all breakthrough cases. They just said that. We've decided, basically, since so many people are catching COVID after getting the vaccine, that it's really not an endpoint we want to talk about in the news. So we're going to stop tracking that data. From here on out, all we're interested in people that contract the illness after getting vaccinated that end up in the hospital and dying. They just told us that to our faces, basically admitting we don't care that the vaccine doesn't work. And why is that a problem? Well, it's a serious problem. In fact, it's even worse than it doesn't work. The only thing that they've claimed that the vaccine can do, and I have trouble using that word now, vaccine, because it doesn't do what I, we all expected it to do, well, what they've said they proved it can do is it can reduce your symptoms. It can take away your symptoms, meaning you can still catch the illness. You're just not going to have symptoms from it, and maybe you won't die. Well, look at the problem with that. That means that all the vaccine does is mask your knowledge that you have the illness. This is, I mean, we've been trained for a year that the most dangerous thing about this, this virus is being an asymptomatic carrier, running around with the illness inside of you and spreading it, but not knowing you have it. That's why every healthy person is being forced to wear a mask because we may have it. We just don't know we do. And so they've taken away all of our rights, our rights to play on beaches and swim in oceans and ride on cruise ships. And, you know, all of that has been destroyed because of this idea that the asymptomatic carrier is so dangerous. But look what this vaccine does. If the vaccine only takes away my symptoms, then the vaccine is celebrating the fact that it's turning everyone into an asymptomatic carrier. So here, here's where the news, news won't cover any of this. They keep telling you it's going to stop your infection, even though Tony Fauci essentially corrects people. I saw Chris Cuomo say to, to, to Anthony Fauci, so this vaccine is 95% effective at stopping my infection. And Tony Fauci says, it's 95% effective at stopping clinical disease. And we're really happy with that result. And Chris Cuomo goes, oh, great, moving on. But did you see there was a bait and switch there? There was a word switch. Fauci said, no, it's 95% effective at stopping clinical disease. Well, what is clinical disease? For most of us, we think he just answered the question, but he did not. And this is where the word game has been confusing. Again, the propaganda by our media. 
there's two things that we need to, there's two names to this that I think we get confused about. SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. Most people think they're interchangeable, but they are not. SARS-CoV-2 is your in the infection. COVID-19 is the symptoms that come from that infection. So you don't have COVID-19 if you're an asymptomatic carrier, right? You're just, you're walking around with SARS-CoV-2. Only if you start losing your taste, sense of taste, you start having other symptoms, then we say now you have COVID-19. So this is this has confused a lot of people. So when Cuomo is asking, it's 95% effective at stopping my infection known as SARS-CoV-2. No, it's not. You know, um, Fauci will go on to say clinical disease, it's 95% effective at stopping you from having COVID-19. That's the symptoms. It's a bit like when we used to hear about HIV infection and then leading to AIDS. It's not exactly, but it gives you that sense. HIV is the infection, AIDS is the disease. So you can hold something in, in its infection space. So that's what I think is important for people to know since no one in mainstream media is telling you that. Then beyond that, now that the vaccine we've proven it doesn't work, that it is only stopping symptoms and not the actual infection, then you got to ask yourself, okay, so if it's not protecting my neighbors, if, if taking this vaccine is it's not going to protect grandma, I can still get infected. I won't know it. I'm going to walk in as an asymptomatic carrier to my grandmother who maybe is too sick or that brand new infant in my family. Um, I mean, think about it. It's even worse. If I didn't get the vaccine, I might have some symptoms and say, you know what? I'm going to stay home. There's a brand new baby. I'd love to visit. I'd love to visit my grandbaby. But, you know, we got a cough over here. We're not feeling so good. The only thing the vaccine did was take away your alarm system, know that you're sick. Now you're going to go over and potentially, you know, be around babies, be around, you know, people that are immune suppressed, thinking because you had the vaccine that they are now safe. So that's the danger there. So if it doesn't stop infection, it doesn't stop transmission. If I'm not protecting anybody, first of all, then why is anybody going into university having to get this vaccine? All they're going to do is create giant asymptomatic spreading situations all over the university. And then you got to take a step further. If that was all that was wrong with it, okay, fine. It doesn't really work. Everybody gets it. But now let's talk about the side effects. What dangers am I putting my body? What is the danger I'm putting my body in to achieve what can't be achieved, which is this herd immunity? I mean, right away, there's no point in getting the vaccine, really. But there should at least be what are the what is the potential side effects and those are astronomical there's what we know for sure what we know for sure is that all three of the vaccines available in the united states of america can cause this issue of blood clotting and thrombocytopenia at the same time it's a really crazy anomaly not only is your blood clotting but the platelets that usually have to do with clotting are, are disappearing in your body because you're also suffering from thrombocytopenia, meaning a platelet drop in platelets. That's what has been, that's why they haven't been able to sort of discount it because it's such an unnatural occurrence in the human body. And the amount of times we've seen it happen in vaccines, it is clearly a vaccine injury. Why is this important? Well, it's important to know these two points because there's about nine states in the United States of America right now that allow your children, some between 12, maybe 13 teenagers, to be vaccinated without your knowledge. There's states that are 
there's even more states that are trying to get this approval to vaccinate your child without your consent. Now think about this, the, because they believe, well, you're a crazy anti-vaxxer, your kids should be able to make their own choice. Well, here's the problem with the blood clots and thrombocytopenia and makes it so unique, is that normally we treat blood clots with heparin. If you come into an emergency room and you're having a blood clot in the brain, they immediately put you on heparin to do what? To lower the, the platelets, to sort of thin your blood so that we can stop that, that, those blood clots. Well, with this vaccine injury, ooh, that's a problem. If we thin your blood and drop your platelets, and you were also suffering from thrombocytopenia at the same time with this vaccine, that kills you. You're going to bleed out because we gave you the wrong drug. And this is what was, this is how they discovered it so, so fairly quickly was that they were treating the blood clots, but didn't realize there was an underlying thrombocytopenia event. So it was the perfect storm and heparin killed the people. Now imagine a situation where your child has been vaccinated with this product. You weren't told, the doctors hid it from you. Ooh, they got this nice little game going on suddenly. And by the way, those, those blood clots don't appear for weeks, two, three weeks later, your child starts having a blood clot situation, maybe in their brain, somewhere in their body, and you rush them to the hospital. And the first question, this hospital, not the one, you know, you went to the nearest ER, has your child had this vaccine? Because they know to ask that question, right? And you say, no, they haven't. I didn't get it for them. And they give them heparin and that will kill your child. This is the problem with the lying and the deceit and the destruction of our rights around these vaccine programs. And so all of this is problematic. So that's just one problem. We know it causes blood clots and thrombocytopenia. We also know that it causes anaphylactic reactions. Uh, we know that it causes Bell's palsy. And many of these things may all result in deaths. Those are the immediate issues that we're looking at. And as you and I have said, the highest death rate of approximately 4,000 reported deaths in America. And don't forget that VAERS system, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, where we're capturing those deaths, Harvard Medical School did a thorough study. They were paid a million dollars back in 2010 to investigate VAERS and see how accurate it is at capturing vaccine injury, and they reported that VAERS captures less than 1% of the total amount of injuries. Well, that's pretty easy math for anybody out there. If you take 4,000, say there's the potential based on Harvard Medical School, that's only 1%. Then what are the actual potential deaths that have happened so far in the first four or five months of this rollout? We very well could be looking at over 400,000 people killed by the vaccine, which means the vaccine is far more deadly than that quarter of 1%, half of 1% death rate we've all been worrying about. Um, and so that's, that's the surface of what we're talking about. If you want to start talking about what we know about long-term safety problems, we can talk about that too. Well, let me jump in and add a couple of medical comments. I mean, I'm literally in the field treating COVID patients. I've been treating patients for COVID since last March, 2020, using the successful outpatient treatments that all of us frontline doctors have been using for the entire pandemic with extraordinary success. And some have larger volumes of patients treated than I do, but none of my patients 
were requiring hospitalization or died because as soon as they notified me they had symptoms, we started within the first two to five days of symptoms. And I put it all together in the combination that Dr. McCullough and his international team had come up with. So it works, treatment works. And if you treat early in this survivable illness that has a very low death rate, if you treat early, and if you're not in the elderly high-risk group of diabetes, hypertension, kidney disease, and the other comorbidities, then it doesn't need the vaccine. So we do have that issue um, that I, I think people are overlooking. And the other problem is that the long-term complications are potentially more severe than anything we've ever seen before, because this is the first vaccine in our entire history that actually crosses the blood-brain barrier, generating spike proteins within the nervous system. And that leads to inflammation and blood clotting potential within the brain. And so it is terribly devastating. I really don't think that most people have any of these risk information background to be able to make a decision. So Dell, honestly, I, I think there's a massive educational effort that we all are working hard on that we need to be able to get to the public. And most of us, including you, have run into censorship. So I just appreciate all of your efforts so much. And I want thank to you. thank you for all of the effort that you are making. These media suppression censorship issues have been devastatingly deadly to the population. Not only is there a dangerous vaccine with escalating damage now and later, I'm seeing it in my patients. I have a patient right now who was an extraordinarily healthy woman, high-powered businesswoman, very successful and high energy and amazing accomplishments in the business world. She is so incapacitated after the Moderna vaccine that she can hardly function with neurologic complications and we are treating it aggressively, but she is very damaged by this whole situation and sadly, she had not asked me about the risk to her individually if she wanted to take the vaccine. And I didn't learn that she'd had it until she started having all these problems. And here was a highly educated person who was pressured by fear of the very things you talked about in the first segment. And she jumped yeah. in without information. And now she's paying a very high price and we're seeing it across the board. All of our frontline doctors are reporting every day the, the major injuries and complications and severe side effects that are quite debilitating. Yeah. I'm, and what that's doing to all of us. We have a few minutes left. 
let me tell the listeners what's happened to you in being censored. Well, I mean, censorship, I've, I've seen it best said, show me a time in history when the side that was censoring and burning books was the right side of history. Never in history has that been the case, and it won't prove to be the case now. And we are talking censorship from Amy Klobuchar, you know, sitting representatives in the United States of America that cherishes First Amendment rights demanding, you know, and Adam Schiff, these people demanding that social media platforms take down free speech, take down people's channels. And so I've lost my YouTube channel. I've lost my um, uh, Facebook channel. Uh, They're threatening to go after my iTunes account. And yet all I do is present the truth as we find it. I'm the only media network that I know of that actually, if you sign up to my newsletter at thehighwire.com, we do a show on Thursday. On Monday, I email you hyperlinks to all of the evidence, all of the science, all the peer-reviewed studies, the emergency use authorization, the sections we're talking about. I put it in your hands so that you can read it yourself and have these real tools of truth in your hands. Well, they don't want that. They don't want you to know the truth. They don't want you doing your investigation. It's incredible that we live in a time where we're being condescended upon. Like people speak to us because we want to read the ingredients, because we want to do our own research. We're the stupid ones. The smart ones say, just trust the authorities. That's what, that's the world we live in. It's amazing that in the United States of America, we are now being told, just trust the authorities. That's what makes you smart. And doing your own investigation makes you stupid. You know, it's a total role reversal. Censorship is definitely happening. You know, there's no doubt that, you know, channels are being taken down. We've seen all of this taking place, but I'm not worried about it. You know, for my audience, they've all moved over to thehighwire.com. We have millions of people, you know, watching our show every single week. And I would say this, we can all get upset about it. Sure, we've got to elect better officials. We've got to start asking, do you believe in my First Amendment rights? Do you believe in my right to use social media freely? Uh, Since that is the communication tool, that's the phone, that's the telephone of our time. Um, You know, are we really going to allow government officials and censorship to be listening in, essentially deciding what we can text to each other, what we can say to each other? Because if that's where we live, then then that's it. That's the end of the United States of America. That's the end of the dream of our founding fathers. But I just want to say this, that before we whine and complain too much about that censorship, I want to remind everybody that, yes, these seem like difficult times, dark times, insurmountable odds, the pharmaceutical industry is so powerful, the government is colluding with them. All of those things are true, but they were similar situations to the moment this nation was founded. You know, our, you know, we had people, they didn't have the internet when they wanted to stage, you know, resistance and essentially stand up against the British Armada. They didn't have internet or social media or the ability to get to each other. They had to hand each other letters. They had to have whisper campaigns and underground railroad. They had to, and all of this while a British soldier could knock on your door, push through your door and say, you have to give me a bed tonight. So there have been worse situations that resulted in the greatest nation and the greatest fundamental, you know, um, beacon of freedom ever created. This is that time again. And so, sure, they can censor me, but they can't censor 
all of you sharing this recording right now. If you go out and say, I'm sorry, this is important information. You need to listen to this. If you get over that discomfort you have wanting to be liked by your friends that are poisoning themselves with an untested product and now want a passport to force you to poison yourself, I'm sorry. It's time to speak up. It's time to start having a conversation. It's time to start sharing every video you see that makes sense to you. That is your job as a foot soldier. And together, they cannot stop and censor all of us. And that is our way forward. And that is how we're going to win. Powerful message. And I could not agree more. I've been saying very similar messaging to my patients in talking with them about what they need to do. Here are steps you can take to be empowered. In fact, one of the projects that I worked on with Dr. McCullough last fall was writing the patient guide to early home treatment for COVID. And we literally, I took his medical papers that was peer reviewed, published in the American Journal of Medicine and He vetted everything that I did. I took the medical language, put it into layman's language, and we made a free e-booklet, which people can download now. Go to your website, thehighwire.com, subscribe to your platform, your shows, your information. Go to www.covidpatientguide.com for our doctor's guide, free booklet for patients written for you in layman's language, step by step. Here are the stages of the illness. Here are the things that we can use to treat it. They are FDA approved. They have been used for other conditions for decades. They have a proven safety track record. Here are the medicines. Here's how you get them. Here are our telemedicine resources. Our network of frontline doctors Dell are treating 15,000 patients a day, outpatient, early, with all of this combination of medicines that doctors have used for decades every day. We're just applying them for the inflammation, the blood clots, and of course, the initial viral infection to reduce that. It all works. So there's a treatment available. People need to educate themselves on that. They need to share it. And as they need to educate themselves on the risk of the vaccines, as you are working. The other thing I'm I'm going to share with you and our audience, I am personally spearheading an initiative called Medicine and Ministry United. And we, we are launching doctors in the pulpits with the ministers and pastors across this country that are interested in participating on July 4th. 2021, to be speaking medical and freedom truth from the pulpit, much as our revolutionary ancestors did at the time of the first revolution, when the pastors were the ones standing up with courage and boldness to talk about the principles of life and liberty as God's gift. So as we wrap up today, I want to thank you for your tireless work on this front. We're here to support you with our medical initiatives and our outreach to the churches. We are lighting brush fires of freedom across this country, and we will not stop. We will not be silent. We will not shut up. 
we will never give up and never give in. So listen to all of these resources you have, my fellow Americans, and get loud, get involved, and don't be afraid to speak up. Your country, your family, and your life all depend on it. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest for Malcolm on Voice of a Nation, signing off the first hour today. Stay tuned for an exciting second hour coming up. The heart and soul of a nation beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor, honor, honor. our soul. soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Welcome to Voice of a Nation. This is the second hour of our provocative and urgently important discussion on the vaccine mandates being forced on college students across the country. We're continuing the discussion that you heard in the first hour with Dell Bigtree, who has just conducted major outreach efforts and rallies on college campuses in the U.S. and is working closely with our next guest. So this is Dr. Lee, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm, back on the second hour with Dr. Craig Wax. Dr. Wax is a family physician in private independent practice in southern New Jersey and has served on the editorial board of Medical Economics and featured on the cover in summer of 2009 for his radio show, Your Health Matters. This is broadcast on Rowan Radio and podcast on the website, rowanradio.com. So tune in to Your Health Matters to hear more from Dr. Wax. He's published in multiple journals and newspapers and has served on the National Physicians Council on Healthcare Policy with Congressman Pete Sessions of Texas. Follow him on Facebook and Twitter at Dr. Craig Wax. He is a board member of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, a group I have been part of for over 25 years. And so we are colleagues in the fight to preserve medical freedom, patient autonomy, patient independent choices, and individualized patient-centered medical care. Welcome to the show today, Dr. Wax. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to hear about your efforts that have just taken place today with the program and the rally that you and Del Bigtree have, have been organizing on college campuses. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Fleet, and thank you to your audience for being kind enough to, uh, to have me on. Um, this is, uh, seems to be uh, the big thing of the time at the moment um, with regard to COVID-19 and the experimental vaccines. And the big issue, I believe, is informed consent, because 
what the government is going ahead and doing is without a ton of research and time and, and listening, they're basically saying that uh, every population almost can, can get these vaccines that are mRNA and DNA based. And there have been lots of side effects and problems like any medical intervention, which you can expect. But, you know, we've been researching these things for 15 to 20 years and we've never had a usable product. And with, with the last uh, administration's light speed um, moving through the FDA, um, you know, you're kind of damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. That is to say, if you produce something too quickly, you have a lot of problems, side effects, and you can't reel it back in. However, if you wait too slowly, you lose your opportunity to act. So it needs to be balanced. Currently, um, colleges are mandating, that is to say, they're demanding that in order for a student to be on campus, they have to have had one of these experimental um, mRNA or DNA injections. And there's a lot of problems and issues with it. And the biggest one, from my perspective, is informed consent. Because in order to do anything in medicine or surgery, and everybody who's a patient, including doctors who are patients, um, will realize that you must have informed consent. And what I mean by that is you must understand the potential benefits, the potential risks, the costs, and the alternatives to treating and non-treating. And that is not being done by any means. So not only is the government and other entities rolling these experimental mRNA and DNA devices out um, to multiple populations, you know, it, it should have started out as a, as a senior experiment that, you know, potentially seniors who were at major risk for this but they're rolling it out to populations that aren't at risk for death from COVID-19 or the virus called SARS-CoV-2. And they're rolling it out to healthy middle-aged people. They're rolling it out to healthy college-age people who are among the most healthy in our population. And any pediatrician will tell you that children um, in grade school and high school are among the most hardy humans on the planet. And you know, when they do get SARS-CoV-2, if they do get it, um, it's not a devastating infection. And there really hasn't been outbreaks in schools that everyone was worried about early in 2020. Everybody was worried about outbreaks in schools. And they, you know, like in New Jersey, for example, they said, well, we're going to close the schools for two weeks to see if we can interrupt the spread. Well, that wasn't the worst idea. However, it was a failed experiment. It didn't interrupt the spread. And we also closed the schools and we, we taught our children, you know, how to be on the internet more, how to exercise less, how to eat fast food, frozen pizza, and parents couldn't work and our society turned upside down. Um, as well as the government not, not only not embracing, but trying to bury the early treatment. Your comments are profoundly important, Dr. Wax. And one of the things that most of us, I mean, I've been treating patients frontline since February, March, 2020 with great success as most of our frontline physicians have been doing. I personally have not had any patients be hospitalized or die. And that is part of the point about your informed consent at that you introduced the show the problem is not only are people not getting informed consent about the vaccine risk in the context of what might be a benefit, but the vaccination centers 
have actually ignored informed consent requirements to present alternative treatments, as you pointed out, in addition to the fact that we have had major violation of the Constitution with the suppression of information on early treatment that all of us physicians working hard for the last 16 months have tried to get out. So it's an it's a even bigger issue for our audience to understand than the points that you were making quickly. I wanted to emphasize some of those. It's critical. Patients Please. are being denied access to information to help them make a balanced decision. Yeah, and, and that's the important thing. As, as, as we had said before, and thank you for um, slowing down and um, trying to deal with each point individually. I was just trying to work a lot in um, over a short period of time. But um, informed consent is hugely important um, and it's not being done as you uh, eloquently and factually make that point. And therefore there's no real relationship in order to deliver this experiment. I mean, there's been no alternatives and what have you. And the other thing too that is really distressing is of the patients that I've seen that have elected to be part of this um, ex big experiment that have had side effects, problems going forward. Um, we had a patient that had a pregnancy loss at, uh, you know, the patient was 31 years old and at 12 weeks was counseled to get the shot. And after the second Moderna shot, three days, they had a fetal demise. And, you know, maybe it's related, maybe it's not, but I had asked, did you report this? to VAERS, V-A-E-R-S, which is the Government Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, they said no. So, you know, best data tells us that one to 10%, that is probably less than one in 10 side effect problems is not even related or not reported to the government for our, to understand, to give consent. Well, that's right. and. And I'll come back to something you said that is profoundly important. You know, sometimes people in medicine and public health just talk in abstract terms that ignore the human dimension of the cost. This was a baby who died, not a fetal demise as the public health officials euphemistically refer to it to disguise the human cost and the human tragedy. And I, I want our listeners to know that the physicians treating patients have always focused on the human aspect of it. What's best for you as a person? And this, this abstraction of fetuses and lives lost or adverse events is obscuring the cost. I just had, I've had so many patients who've had the vaccine, who've had complications. It's, it's just staggering. And right. Especially in those who have had COVID-19 and recovered that have natural immunity, they have antibodies activated T cells and B cells and should not be getting the vaccines because A, they won't help and B, they could be harmed. And I'm sure you've seen that in your practice as well. Well, I have. And the tragedy is that people that I've had longstanding 20 and 30 year relationships with were so pressured and so blinded by the media narrative that they didn't even think to ask me, who knew them so well medically and knew their medical risk individually, they didn't think to ask ahead of time, should I get this? That people are not even being encouraged 
to talk with their personal physician to go through what are my risks? Does this matter for me? Do I need do I need the vaccine? Could I check my natural immunity? None of that's being brought up. Yeah, for certain. And 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 even um, more discouraging than than the breaking of the patient physician relationship. The government is basically saying, you know, we're going to give everyone the information and we're going to block out all other voices and social media is going to do the same. I mean, if if you haven't been kicked off Twitter, Instagram or Facebook, obviously you have never uttered any difficult truths. Well, you and I both were deplatformed by Twitter and I canceled Facebook myself. I self-canceled Facebook a number of years ago because I was outraged at their lack of attention to privacy and some of the other things going on. But they actually have a foreign board outside the United States that decides on their error checking mechanisms. So frankly and honestly, I'm not even convinced that it's that it's Americans that are making the decisions. And the fact that anyone is making the decision on what is ultimate truth or ultimate false can't possibly stand. That's exactly right. And what we come back to is the fundamental principle on which this nation was founded. That number one, our life and our freedom as individuals are creator's gifts, not the government's. And number two, the individual decides what is right for the individual person. And that is being totally taken away in every aspect of our life. They are using the COVID-19 illness as a weapon to destroy the fabric of America. And here on Voice of a Nation, that's exactly what we're trying to help people understand. These efforts are interconnected and they are systematically designed to dismantle the entire social and economic spiritual, faith-based, cultural traditions that have been the threads of the fabric that have woven this country into the greatest nation in the world. Right. Well, the whole idea is is that a central body cannot and should not designate anything that everybody doesn't agree to with regard to what an individual can do. I mean, if you read any of the writings of Ayn Rand and the School of Objectivism, you know, the smallest minority that can be discriminated against is the individual. And and that's the first thing that um, large government systems and um, big uh, philosophically based power and money entities try to roll over all the individuals because, you know, they want the money and they want the power. I think it was Marcus Tullius Cicero, the famous uh, orator in history, that said, you don't have to be interested in politics, but politics will be interested in you. Thank you, Dr. Wax, for being a powerful voice, championing integrative approaches to our total health, and for being a powerful voice speaking out about what patients need to know now to avoid being coerced into experimental approaches. Thanks so much for being here. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm. We're going to take a brief break and we'll be right back with another exciting dimension of this whole discussion on the movement towards mandates in vaccines. Be right back. 
Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. Hail, my fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Uh, You were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list. And they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. Each of us is born with 30 trillion cells that make us. These cells determine how we feel, perform, sleep, focus, and how long we live. And to live our best life, all we have to do is feed ourselves. But most food and supplements don't reach our cells, keeping us from reaching our full potential. Make every cell count with Healthy Cell. Founded with a mission to empower people to take control of their own health at the most fundamental level, Dr. Vincent Jampapa, world-renowned cell researcher and medical doctor, created supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. And that's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L. And use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. It was a vision that gave birth to a unique multimedia platform that would combine classic talk radio, great writers, and memorable podcasts and videos. AmericaOutloud.com is a conservative leader in a field that is predominantly run by far-left progressive globalists. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. The silent majority has spoken. We say, let the silent voices be heard. You can be the voice of change. Contact our producer at liberty at americaoutloud.com. Liberty at americaoutloud.com. Welcome to the second hour of Voice of a Nation. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm. And today in the second hour, we are going to be continuing the discussion with some questions that grow out of what you heard from Del Bigtree in the first hour and Dr. Craig Rax leading into this second hour. Both of them were raising the issues of the how rapidly these vaccines were rolled out for COVID, the fact that we only had two months clinical data, normally it's a two to five year process of getting clinical data, the fact that we were 
violating all of our normal medical, ethical, legal, and regulatory guidelines about pushing, forcing, coercing, mandating experimental agents, pushing people into clinical trials without them realizing that's what's happening. So there were so many questions that we were discussing in the first part of the show that I wanted to invite another guest that I have worked closely with for a number of months. And I'll tell you about his background in just a moment. But I wanted to dig into the some perspectives on just exactly where did this virus come from and exactly how did we know enough about the virus ahead of time to begin developing a vaccine so fast that it literally could be rolled out in a couple of months of clinical data. It just never made sense to me that this moved so fast and that there has been this massive push to vaccinate as many people as possible, as fast as possible, with no risk assessment and extending the vaccination into groups that were never part of the clinical trial. So I decided to invite Dr. Peter Bregan to come on and talk with us about all the research that he has been doing over the last year with his wife, Ginger Bregan, on the pandemic and the background and what what made sense? What is the research showing that they found to document what was going on? His new book is COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are Their Prey. And that is P-R-E-Y, not P-R-A-Y. You can go to wearetheprey.com. You can order the book and get immediate access to the manuscript in which he is describing in depth all that we've been experiencing and the background for it over this pandemic. So today, I wanted Dr. Bregan to come on and talk with us because I really have struggled with this question as a physician. Where did this virus come from and why did we have so much information ahead of time that this vaccine could be developed so rapidly and brought to market in an unheard of speed. It wasn't President Trump, actually, who developed Operation Warp Speed. Turns out that some of the planning for this goes back a number of years, which Dr. Bregan's book outlines. But today I wanted to ask him, what about this virus, this SARS-CoV-1 early in the in 2000 to 2002 that broke out from China, and the SARS-CoV-2 that causes the illness of COVID-19 that we all learned about in 2019, where did it come from? So Dr. Bregan, welcome to Voice of a Nation. You've been a guest on here multiple times before. It's so good to have you back. Tell us a little bit about what you've been uncovering in your research. I think the most shocking thing of all for people to uh, to realize is there's never been a SARS cove in nature, never been found ever. And there's so much talk about it by Fauci and Gates and everybody else that we assume that there's always been this grave risk of a known pathogen in nature called SARS cove 
that creates the SARS disease, this uh, acute respiratory disease uh, that comes from uh, uh, coronaviruses in bats. It's all very specific. And that, that this is just lurking to come out, that it's come out before, and uh, we have to tool up for it. That, that's one of the first myths that is very striking to look at because in fact, although they have searched and searched thousands of specimens taken from the alleged possible sources in the caves of China, there has never been found a SARS-CoV virus in nature. So all the talk about the emergence from nature, the, the spontaneous development of, of, a, of a pandemic is a fabrication and, and why we might why that fabrication uh, was made, we can talk about very specifically uh, in a few minutes. So we're left with, well, what do we know? We know there was an epidemic of SARS-CoV that we now call SARS-CoV-1 in 2002, three and four. It uh, was quite deadly, 10% uh, fatality rate uh, but only 8,000 cases were counted worldwide because it was readily contained. It may not have been as contagious. And also when something is uh, deadly, you can spot it and contain it more easily. And in fact, there was no spontaneous cases ever arose in America, though I think one or two may have landed here from elsewhere. Well, no one ever found the origin of that that virus in nature. Instead, what they did was they went into the caves and after a while they came up with the concept of a SARS-like coronavirus. And so these SARS-like coronaviruses were a menace because they might turn into a pandemic and we must have a vaccine for it. And, and this idea must have a vaccine for it is the key because all of this is about two issues. One, making the uh, various corporations, investors uh, around the world, these billionaires, even wealthy and more powerful by organizing an international campaign with governments and corporations making, making vaccines for the potential coronavirus uh, outbreak, um, which is, is such a strange phenomenon to think about. And the second reason is, is that for a long time, uh, a combination of predatory progressives, uh, who we name specifically in the book, and predatory capitalists and communist China have been looking for a pandemic that would allow the shutdown of the Western democracies and increasing power of the globalists and communist China. This seems so outrageous that, in fact, I would have just, just laughed about it a year ago if somebody told me something like this. I, uh, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I, you know, I couldn't have testified in court over a hundred times in state and federal courts on major issues about the, you know, drug companies and. Uh, the making of drugs and about uh, you know, um, negligence in medicine. I couldn't do that if, if I were a conspiracy theorist and I wouldn't have over 70 scientific papers and, me and medical books uh, pu uh, published. 
So this this came to me uh, very hard, and but I'll be giving you some of the evidence of, of how it came to me, where it came from. So we have this dismaying fact that despite Fauci saying we have to fight against in advance the uh, this coming uh, SARS-CoV, that's going to be another SARS-CoV, we don't even know that the first one came from nature. Now, if it did come from nature, what does that mean? That means that there was a a freakish a one in a million occurrence in evolution where bats that are isolated from human beings in caves, hitherto with almost no exploration by human beings and no contacts with human beings, somehow evolved to be able to A, be pathogenic to human beings and B, to enter into their cells and make them ill. It's a very, very long shot. And if it ever did occur with SARS-1, then it's probably uh, less than, uh, if you, somewhere in the neighborhood of one in a million that it would ever happen again. Because it, not only did we have to have the evolution for no particular reason, random evolution of a bat in the caves virus, one of the many, many viruses in the cave and in the bats, that, that it would become Danger, very dangerous to human beings, uh, cause SARS, and then find a human being and give it to the human being, and the human being would spread it. The likelihood is very small, but the likelihood of it's happening again, minuscule. But what happened is that at least since SARS-CoV-1, and I suspect before then, we were making, by we I mean the United States and China, being these, the two most uh, devoted to, I think, and able to, to uh, study biological warfare and prepare for it, either offensively or defensively, we had found that, uh, uh, that coronaviruses are particularly easy to manipulate. I mean, and a lot of scientists have lied about this, but the coronaviruses are, uh, got plenty of scientific data and quotes for it in the book, particularly easy to manipulate in a lab. They don't by themselves easily jump from one species to another. Again, contrary to Fauci, who is just lying on behalf of multiple power sources around the world. He's, a, he's not a big deal himself. He's, he's, just, a, he's just a foot soldier of, of this international mafia-like uh, uh, organizations. Not even organization, it's kind of a loose affiliation of these various predators. Uh, all of them, though, coming together around, we must we must have a, a serious pandemic in order to get things under control in the world and get our governance going. So we have Fauci funding as far back at least of 2008 research on how to take coronaviruses, these, these not seriously pathogenic viruses. They can cause, some of them cause the common cold, most of them cause nothing in humans. How to make them into virulent pandemic agents. Because they can. It's really because they can. And I don't know who started the race first, the Chinese or the Americans. I haven't figured that one out yet. But by 2015, the Chinese and Americans are collaborating in a paper, the lead author, a man named Menachari, 
um, the, the actual power behind it, a man named Barrick, B-A-R-I-K, I see, who is uh, from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. So they have funding. They have funding to do this, what is called um, the uh, you know, uh, gain of function research. It should be called gain of lethal function. It's such, it's such a, a farce. They call it gain of function. Well, like a better virus, it, it's going to uh, do something wonderful for you. But gain of function research is really gain of lethal function research that Fauci is funding. And it comes to fruition in the 2015 paper, the publication, but remember there's a lot of, has to be a lot of research before the publication in uh, December actually of 2015. And in this paper, the Chinese um, who are funded by uh, USAID, incidentally, directly, the uh, so famous Xingli, uh, Xingli, who is a, uh, um, a Chinese, uh, very famous Chinese virologist and who has been touted in the American press as the, uh, the, uh, uh, bat, the bat woman. Um, they're working with the Americans, the two top viral researchers in China, who are also going to be the two basic scientists for China's uh, uh, biological warfare program. It's all one seam in China. There's not many divisions between our military and our uh, other sources uh, of scientific research in America, but in China, they're fused. It's, a re it's actually a fusion between everything that goes on at the Wuhan Institute and the, uh, not only the Chinese Communist Party, but the People's Liberation Army. It's just a fusion. It's widely discussed uh, long before I came on the scene. Well, they uh, actually make that quite clear in the name of the fusion with the Chinese military and the Communist Party. So you're, you're right. And they've been quite open about that as well as their agenda to- Yes, it's called the military-civil fusion. Yes. The military-civil fusion. And you know, you mentioned Dr. Fauci has been involved in this gain of lethal function. Um, I like that alternative name because it's more correct. But you mentioned you've been involved in that for quite some time. That that goes back at least to before the Ebola crisis, because I've personally talked with a virologist who worked in that setting. So he lied to directly face to face to Senator Paul when Senator Paul asked him point blank, have you been involved in gain of function studies or funding them? He blatantly lied because it's documented in so many records and you can speak more to that. Yeah, let me address that directly so we can get, get it just really precise. He lied in two ways uh, on May, May 11th, uh, 2021, to uh, the senator. First, he lied in that he said that uh, need, no one in, at his institute, would, uh, which is a participant in the National Institutes of Health, that nobody at NIH, nobody at his NIAD had funded Chinese researchers in the Wuhan Institute. And he did. He, he did fund them, not in 2015 when he is, uh, 
He's just funding the overall research, but our USAID was funding the, the uh, bat, bat uh, woman. Um, but he himself goes on to fund her as well in very specific, and I named him in the book and give, give the links among my 900 plus links to the research. So he is funding Chinese researchers at the Wuhan Institute, even when they're not working with the US, even on their own, where they're fiddling with viruses, manipulating them, doing work that's closely related to the whole gain of function um, strategy. And uh, so it's very clear that he lied. He then lies again because the Senator brings up uh, Ralph Barrick from the University of North Carolina and said, well, you've been funding him. And uh, Fauci lies and says, what well, he didn't do gain of function work. And uh, then he, he adds, but if he did, uh, he obeyed the rules. And then he goes on and talks some more about how, how Barrick didn't fund gain of function. Barrick not only funded gain of function, he has created a virus that is now lurking in the labs of North Carolina that is a SARS-CoV virus that also causes and kills by means of encephalitis in animals. So there's an even worse and more deadly and catastrophic virus that, uh, that Barrick has created. That's how big, big the lie is. Um, so that's basically- That's really stunning. I think our listeners really need to understand the enormity of what you just said. And let me just put it in layman's language. Encephalitis means an inflammation of the brain and nervous system that causes extensive, extraordinary damage to the brain and in fact can be lethal. Bacterial encephalitis often leads to death viral encephalitis often leads to long-term brain damage. And this is staggering. Our listeners really need to understand the enormity of what you just said. Yeah. And I would add to that, um, that the, that viruses, as you said, commonly lead to to long-term injury, but not necessarily death. But in this study, the virus they got and evolved from the basic coronavirus pool was killing mice in large, large percentage of mice. I don't remember, 10, 20% was one of the main causes of death in mice. So that's, that even breaks from the general uh, effects of encephalitis, which are often not as bad as, say, um, meningitis or bacterial encephalitis. The viral ones are not generally as severe. So they really had to go out of their way to figure out uh, how in the world do you, do you make one of these viruses so that it will attack the, uh, uh, the human? Because not only did it attack the mice, it attacked human cells in, uh, in petri dishes, which is basically nearly equivalent to attacking a human being. When, when you can invade the cells in a lab of human, human preparations, you, you, you've, got, you've got something that almost always is going to invade the human being who's living. So, so Dr. Fauci not only lied to Senator Paul in those two ways, but also this raises the question which our listeners should be paying close attention to and be thinking about themselves. And that is, 
if he knows that Barrick at UNC has already developed this SARS-CoV virus, newer one that has this potential to kill, not just maim or injure. Perhaps that's what he is has this little smirk on his face when he talks about, and there's another pandemic that we're sure to get, and we're going to need another vaccine for that. I mean, he knows all of this in the background and, and just misleading the public, right? Based on what we have, what you've uncovered and what many of us in medicine have been looking into as well. Fauci absolutely knows, and now you who are listening to me uh, know, that the odds on a spontaneous development or emergence of a severe SARS-CoV epidemic from nature approach zero, while the risk of it being accidentally or purposely released from a laboratory are extremely high, and it's unquestionably what happened at the Wuhan Institute. And why do I say that? Because this is going to shock people. It's like, where were we? Why didn't we know this? There have already been, before SARS-CoV-2, four releases in China, accidentally, all of them contained, of their engineered SARS-CoV viruses. Four releases. And of course, that's been totally covered up, not only by China, but by our intelligence and scientific community right. that knew about it. And there have been two other releases from, from other places. One from Singapore, one from, uh, oh my gosh, I forgot, Singapore, I think. But there, there, now there have been other, there have been two others in East Asia that there were releases of this virus. And and so now we, we have, you know, about seven known, including SARS-CoV-2 releases. So this is a really serious issue. And I, I document in the book just how serious and common are these uh, flaws in the systems in which we experiment in both the U.S. on these viruses, in both the U.S., China, and elsewhere. And Fauci also knew that China was particularly sloppy uh, in its safety when he actually gave it a, the highest possible safety uh, rating so he could go on uh, funding their scientists. So it's, it's a, a really a, a kind of a disastrous situation. And interestingly enough, um, <laughs> today I came upon a whole new source, Dr. Vliet. It's just amazing. This is that have been sitting on my desk for me to get to review that Ginger had downloaded. It's 195 pages. It's a book, uh, but in manuscript form, a very detailed scientific review by a man I've yet to get to know, Stephen Carl Quay, Q-U-A-Y, M-D, Ph-D. And he says, um, on, uh, on page five and several other places in the book, exactly what I've concluded. This is so stunning, I want to read it to you. The outcome of this report is the conclusion that a probability of a laboratory origin of COVE-2 is 99.8%. So 99.8% that the current COVE 
came out of the lab. Whereas the probability of a zoonotic origin, that is a spontaneous arrival from nature, is 0.2%. And then he, then he says, this exceeds most academic law school discussions of how to quantify, quote, beyond a reasonable doubt. This is actually a, what we call in medicine, beyond a reasonable, without certainty. Uh, that is a, that's a, a stunning revelation. And I, I think um, what I'd like to do is have up on our platform, Voice of a Nation, on America Out Loud website, is the quote from your new chapter in your book and have a quote from Dr. Quay's book so that our li- and the link so that our listeners can go back and read more about what you've just said. Now, when you say, and his conclusion supports the one you independently found, that it, the cur- 99.8% probability the current SARS-CoV virus came out of a lab, that does not mean anything other than it was synth- created, manipulated, and made in the laboratory. It didn't just evolve spontaneously out of, they found it in a lab by identifying a natural specimen. I wanted to clarify that for our listeners who may not fully understand that zoonotic means spontaneous in nature, coming out of a lab means somebody intentionally manipulated that virus. They didn't just discover it in the belly of a bat. Let me read to you what I just wrote today as I'm just, we're just sending this book out now for its final copy editing. Um, the book that you can get by, by uh, and you can get this manuscript I'm reading to you um, by uh, going to um, the website that Dr. Lee mentioned, which is wearethepray.com. And what is going to be going out and what is it's going to be going out today in, the, in that uh, website is, and I'll quote it to you, and this could get changed because slightly because it's, it's a manuscript. You're right in the middle of the finishing of the book with me. And I'll uh, maybe read two paragraphs, may I? Yes, absolutely. Please do. Okay, here's a quote from me. Here is the great fraud, a hoax of unbelievable proportions, concocted to serve the ambitions of global predators from Bill Gates and Anthony Fauci to who, that's the World Health Organization, and Communist China. No SARS-CoV has ever been found in nature. There is almost a zero risk of a spontaneous emergence of SARS-CoV in the future from nature. All the preparations for it by globalist predators, such as Fauci, Bill Gates, and Communist China, were based on the hope or certainty of a potential human release. In fact, the risk of a natural occurrence of a SARS-CoV pandemic is literally not worth bothering about. In contrast, there is a very high risk of continued accidental or intentional releases from laboratories around the world, including America and China. The problem is not, quote, nature. The problem is, Anthony, I'm laughing at my dogs in the background. The problem is not, quote, nature. 
The problem is Anthony Fauci and the global predators whose interests and ambitions he serves by making SARS-CoV pathogens while feigning that the risk comes from nature. I never had it so clear as in the last few days. I think the only thing left to cover very briefly is that there was foreknowledge on the part of Bill Gates and uh, Schwab and many of the other people working on getting uh, the world tooled up from bypassing American democracy, America's democratic republic, and just getting the, the Western nations to spend billions of dollars in advance getting ready for the SARS corona outbreak. And we know this because in 2017, now it's two years after the 2015 paper I told you about where American Chinese were making these viruses. In 2017, Bill Gates announced in a very little noted video that he was already working with Moderna, working with Moderna and also with Pfizer. He was already, we know from a separate discussions, investing in Pfizer. So he's already involved with Moderna and Pfizer, the two principal uh, RNA called mRNA viruses. And that they were doing this by building new platforms that could rush through, rush through the development of vaccines within a very short period of time as soon as there was an outbreak. And the vaccines he's working on, he says, are RNA vaccines and DNA vaccines, just like we have now in the world. In other words, the whole idea of Operation Warp Speed was developed and moving along and being financed by Gates and multiple other billionaires. He set up a whole thing called CEPI, C-E-P-I, that, that uh, contributions could be made by corporations and governments to hurry this along. 2017, folks, three years before the outbreak. And that very same month, January, where he first talks, he talks about this in January and March, um, out comes an announcement from the FDA fine-tuning the Emergency Use Act, which will enable all this legally to happen. And in that same year, 2017, and this no one will have heard of, it's been so suppressed, the Johns Hopkins University issues a monograph, not the famous war games about coronavirus in two, October 2019 that made everybody suspicious later on, 2017, in which they talk about a coming coronavirus epidemic that they predict uh, for coming in a few years. And they talk about developing an, uh, uh, um, the necessity of developing a vaccine, uh, which they call COVAX, they're naming it already after the coronavirus. And they especially talk about exactly what plagues us now, which is how to get rid of opposition, the fears and questioning of the populace that will naturally come from a rushed vaccine. All laid out and much, much more documented in the book, all laid out before 
Donald Trump takes office. And then I believe what happens is one of two things. There was either an accidental release from the Wuhan, but much more likely, much more likely, they saw in Trump, we know this, a threat to all their globalist predatory ambitions. China saw the threat. Gates saw the threat. All the top, you, you, with the exception of Larry Ellison, all the top U.S. billionaires saw the threat. Without exception, all the top corporations, uh, tech, tech corporations, Apple, Alphabet, which is YouTube and Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, and also down the line, more Twitter, they all saw the threat of Donald Trump to their investing in communist China. So all the powers out there that were loosely affiliated saw the threat from Trump. And I believe that the Wuhan Institute released the uh, virus knowing that it would end the, the Trump administration. And how did they know? Let me say, they knew it and they went ahead and they released their air traffic. Hundreds of thousands of people went from Wuhan and other cities, Beijing, but Wuhan itself, to the United States, hundreds of thousands before Trump, against Fauci's wishes, stopped all traffic from China, except for Americans coming back in, in late January. So even if you argue it was an accidental release, I think it was purposeful, but certainly purposeful was then the spread of the disease. And one last fi final word about it, and I think I've covered it. And that is that the two things that were really hard to figure out was, you know, you know what, can, what can we say that would really indicate the Chinese actually did it purposely? We know they purposely used it as a weapon. And they have a word for it, the, um, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm forgetting the word, I'm forgetting the word for it. But it's a form of war. It's um, unrestricted warfare. You know, unrestricted warfare is the word they have for it. It's an asymmetric form of warfare, as Dr. Lee was just saying. So we, there are two things that people don't realize. And one of them was pointed out to me by the Chinese scientist, Dr. Jan, Yan, Y-A-N, who escaped from China and said that China had released it purposely. And I finally got to talk to her person to person on, vid on videos before a conference. And she explained to me, she knows it was purposeful, first of all, because she talked to people in China about it before she left. But she also knows it was purposeful because the Chinese were always able to mobilize immediately and stop their four earlier leaks. And they didn't do it. And then the thing that I realized, which I still don't see spreading around, was the realization that it was in the interest of the Chinese communists to release a virus that would kill old people and spare perfectly the young. Children and youth, no risk at all of dying from this, and people up to 55 at very low risk. And why was that wonderful for China? Because their main economic problem is that because of their uh, their programs where first you could only have one child and then modify two children, 
does not support their vast older population. They have a massive problem. They have no social security there. They have no way of supporting the older population, traditionally taken care of by the family, but the family is not reproducing fast enough with uh, especially this lengthy one child policy. Um, so this has vastly benefited China. It's given them the opportunity to crack down harder on their people and to eliminate a significant portion of their older folks. I hate to tell you all this, people. It has not been easy to face. No, it's not. In fact, when I had the privilege of reading every line of Dr. Bregan's book and giving feedback and adding information I might have had that he didn't, which wasn't much, but I was, I felt like there were times I literally could not continue reading because I was getting so sick to my stomach at the enormity of the planned evil and death and destruction. And But I said in my introduction to his book, yes, it is difficult to face. Yes, it is hard to read. And yes, we must know what our enemy is doing. The horror of what's going on is just e- enormous. I want to thank all of our listeners for sticking with us today. This has been a hard subject to cover, but you need to know it. You're not getting it anywhere else. That is why we are America out loud. That is why we are getting loud on all of these critical topics that affect your life and your health. This is Dr. Lee for America, your Team Nation guest host for Malcolm, signing off for today. You are in charge of your life, your health, and your freedom. Get up, get loud, get involved, and don't be afraid to speak out. Share this information widely. Share Dr. Bregan's book. People need to know what we have been up against, and we need to come together and get loud and involved to save our country, our families, our communities, and importantly, our children for the future.